Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. I've got a multitude of sins to discuss tonight. Everything's going on in this world, but primarily in the United States. Uh, if Trump gives us nothing else, he's giving us excitement. I want to start, and I'm not going to stand this very long, but I'm going to hit it, the proposed health bill. Trump care, the new bill, the, or is it Ryan care? I don't know anymore. But the new bill the Republicans are pushing to replace Obamacare. It shows, the bill shows the president doesn't care. Trump doesn't care. Because when you look at the facts that have come down now from the CBC or CBO, it shows that within one year under the new plan, an additional 14 million people will not have insurance coverage, health insurance coverage. An additional 14 million within one year. Within 10 years, 26 million, an additional 26 million will not have coverage. Remember what Donald Trump said during the campaign? Everyone will be covered. That don't sound like everyone to me. And then, He's going to cut, they're going to cut Medicaid. <laughs> I mean, I've got to laugh. They're going to cut Medicaid. And who was it? Think back. You saw him on television. Donald Trump said, I'm not going to touch Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid. Anyone that's on those three has nothing to worry about. Well, this, this new law they're proposing cuts the hell out of Medicaid. It just knocks it out. And also, it's supposed to be cheaper. I'm going to give you, Donald Trump said, Cheap health coverage. Don't, wor- don't worry. You won't be paying as much for it as you are now. Well, it turns out this new plan has high deductibles and high premiums. Uh, look, what was it? Uh, if someone was making $27,000 a year and was 20, uh, 64 years old, in order to buy insurance under the new program, the proposed program, they're presently paying something like $1,700 a year under the old program, Obamacare, 1700 a year. $14,000 under Obama's new plan, from 1700 a year to 14000 a year. Does that make sense to you? And you know who's going to get hurt the most? The poorest and the oldest, the poor people and the old people, the ones that can least not only afford, can handle it economically, mentally, physically, they're going to get the hell knocked out of them. And especially the old people, and I'm one of the old people at 81, uh, I want to be sure I have sufficient medical care. Uh, as you get older, my friends, and I'm on Medicare, so it's all right, but they may screw around with that next year. As you get older, you get sicker. Nothing you can do about it. It's the way it is. And you, you need more medical attention, and you also need more prescription drugs. This plan is for the rich. The proposed plan is for the rich. And this, I'll give you a perfect example of why. Now, this is supposed to be a health plan insurance coverage universal. And obviously, I've showed you where it's not universal. But built into this bill, this health bill, this new plan they're pushing, is a tax cut for the rich. Now, what the hell is a tax cut for the rich doing in a health care bill? And the tax cut is for anyone making, earning in excess of $200,000 a year. Now, if that isn't taking care of the rich, I don't know what is. Remember the old Western movies, 
go back to the cowboys and the Indians and all that sort of thing. And every now and then, somebody would come into town, and he was dressed like a dude from the east, probably Kansas City or St. Louis, and he was wearing a high-top hat. And he'd have everybody around him, and he was sell- selling the stuff in a bottle. <laughs> and he was saying, this will cure all your ills, everything that's wrong with you. And it'll take care of it all. Don't worry. He was selling tonic water. And that, my friends, is what Obama is selling to us. I want to talk about buying friends. In other words, you give somebody money, and because you give them so much money, they are now your friends. They're not your friends because they're your friends. They're your friends because you gave them money. Uh, (laughs) Money talks, bullshit walks. Got to say it that way. In the 1990s, uh, soon after the fall of the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union fell in either 89 or 90, and as we got into the early 1900s, 1990s, a plane left weekly, more than once a week, from JFK to Russia. And you know what was on that plane? Fresh $100 bills. Bags of fresh $100 bills from the CIA to the friends they wanted to have in the new Russia. And those with influence in the new Russia were crime gangs, organized crime gangs, the mob, the mob, and also oligarchs. Because even though you had a Soviet government prior to 1990, there were still people via the the capitalistic route in Russia that found their way to the top. They were above the government, and they were eating off everything. And we wanted the new Russia to be our friend. Well, the way of the world is between countries, if you want someone to be your friend, you buy them. You give their leaders money. And this is what we did in the 1990s every week from JFK directly to Moscow, bags full of new $100 bills because we had to buy or we wanted to buy new friends. Now, staying a little bit with money here, let me talk for a second about Afghanistan. I'm going to talk about money and the rebuilding of Afghanistan. Uh, The figures that I'm going to share with you, the dollar figures, are adjusted for inflation. So whatever numbers were spent 10 years ago or 15 years ago, those numbers have been inflation affected so that we're talking to today dollar terms, which equates everything, today dollar terms. After World War II, Europe was devastated, had to be rebuilt. Truman was smart. General Marshall was smart. We got to take care of these people, especially Germany, even though they were our enemy. We got to help rebuild them, just as we rebuilt uh, Japan. We got to help rebuild them. They'll be our friends. We wanted them to be our friends. We wanted to show we put out a helping hand, and hopefully we're not having any trouble with them anymore. doesn't work that way, but there was the Marshall Plan. We rebuilt Europe to the tune of $120 billion, all right, $120 billion. We have been in Afghanistan fighting for 15 years so far, and we have spent already in excess of that figure of $120 billion. We rebuilt all of Europe for $120 billion. We have not concluded and are nowhere close to rebuilding Afghanistan after having spent in excess of $120 billion already. 
Now, what's going on over there about Afghanistan? Well, we spent all that money so far, and the country's crumbling. It's corrupt. It's a failed state, governmentally-wise. Opium exports are soaring, okay? Soldiers, yes, soldiers, including our soldiers, and civilians are dying in excessive numbers. There is nothing that indicates that in the foreseeable future any of this is going to stop. It's going to go on. Now, things are getting worse, not better, uh, and examples are the following. This is in addition to the $120 million plus that's already been spent. We have already spent $70 billion on top of the 120, $70 billion rebuilding the Afghanistan security forces, their army, okay? $70 billion training their people, et cetera, giving them uh, equipment and what have you. And after 15 years and spending $70 billion just on that, only 63% of the country are under government control. 63% of the country districts, they're broken into districts, of the country's districts are under government control. So who the hell have we beat out there? There's almost 50% that still isn't under government control. Uh, and so the $70 billion still hasn't done the job in having the Army correct everything. We have spent, in 15 years, $8.5 billion battling narcotics, okay, Opium production is at an all-time high. It's producing the heroin that's on our streets in the United States today and is the worst, the absolute worst drug epidemic this country has seen. I've written about this. I've talked about it in the past. For some reason, Afghanistan, they, not one bomb, listen to Lewis, not one bomb has ever fallen on an opium, the poppy fields, where they grow the poppy. Not one bomb, not one farmer, et cetera, killed. How the hell does this happen with all this fighting going on for 15 years? And at the same time, we're spending $8.5 billion trying to extricate uh, or reduce opium production, and we it's at an all-time high. Uh, there's another thing that's even more important than the money. Sometimes money isn't the end all. In the 15 years, 2,400 American soldiers have been killed. 2,400 American soldiers have been killed and 20,000 wounded. We want our children in school to be taught, to be taught well, to graduate with a high level of education, intelligence, so they are successes in the world. And it's becoming increasingly difficult over the years. Uh, and we're, we've got all kinds of plans that have been going on since the 1980s, Bush too, to try to make our kids get better educations. I'm going to give you an example, and it's one that isn't working. But political correctness is dictating a result that I think is terrible, and you will too. Education in New York State is controlled by the Board of Education. In 2003 and two, 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 I'm sorry, 2013, 2014, the uh, state of New York said, you know, the kids aren't learning. Maybe the teachers aren't that good. So they set up a literacy test for prospective teachers to take. You want to teach in our public school system? No problem. Here's a literacy test. We want to be sure that you can read and write 
and comprehend. And you have to pass the literacy test uh, or you, you don't qualify to teach. Well, this is an example of political correctness going too far because the teachers that were the prospective teachers who were not doing well were the minorities, the Hispanics, the blacks, the Latinos. The whites were not having a problem. Okay, so all we wanted, all New York State wanted, was the teachers, prospective teachers, to have a mastery of the English language. Okay, now the the uh, Board of Education in New York, after only what four years wants to scrap the plan. They want to get rid of the literacy test uh, because you know why? It's too difficult for the minority teachers to pass. It's too difficult for the minority teachers to pass, and they are not getting or not achieving diversity amongst the teachers. Well, Let me give you the numbers on this. In the last four years, 64, 64% of the whites have passed. 46% of the Hispanics have passed. 41% of the blacks have passed. So there is a significant difference here. Some of the teachers who were minorities and had failed to pass the test uh, sued in federal court, claiming discrimination. And uh, interesting case before the court. And the court says, this isn't discrimination. You people want a job to teach children. It tests, it examines whether you are competent to teach children. And if you fail, then apparently you're not competent or qualified to teach children. And he threw the case out of court. But this is what's going on in New York State now with education. It'll probably spread throughout the United States. My point is, Political correctness goes too far in our country today. Some I read this week somewhere. <laughs> this is this is amusing. I think it's good. Uh, it's a brilliant idea. I would describe it as a brilliant idea, uh, and it's this. Uh, <laughs> this was suggested that our congressional members, the House and the senators, House of Representatives and the senators, <laughs> be required to take a drug test every morning. Pee in the cup. I, I find that amusing because I think that their heads get big once they get there and they think they're not guilty of anything. I'm sure we'll find some of them with some traces of drug in their urine. Uh, I wouldn't make them do it every morning. That, that's, that's not nice. That's, that, that really embarrasses them. But I'll tell you this, I would see nothing wrong with requiring members of Congress to submit to random drug testing. Why not? They've got most employees in this country doing it now. Anyhow, and they're employees, too. They are our employees. Okay. Let's see here. Oh, the cyber theft that's going on. Uh, we saw, you know, everybody's hacking. Our government computers. You would assume that no one in the world can break into our computer system, but they are. We've learned that during the election. Hillary, her files, uh, WikiLeaks, uh, the CIA, CIA records recently. The CIA records, the, the most sensitive records in the whole country have been tapped, and various other governmental, uh, governmental records. WikiLeaks is doing it. Russia's doing it. 
Now, why has this happened? I've written about this, and I've talked about this before. I wrote about this three, four years ago. And what I said then, I'm saying now, in order to balance the budget, in order to save a buck somewhere, we did not upgrade the security systems on our computers. That simple. They didn't spend the money to do it. Whatever budget they had, they generally used to buy some new computers and maintain what they had, and they didn't maintain them effectively because part of the maintenance would be the security, in my opinion. They spent next to nothing on security. We're getting what we deserve. We made it possible for Russia, for WikiLeaks, and whoever else is stealing our information to do it. We did not cover our assets, protect our property, protect our assets. We just didn't do it because, hey, we had to spend the money someplace else. Uh, you know, these guys in Congress, these people who run our country, I don't think they're too smart all the time, especially in the House of Representatives, because they're the ones that control the budget in this country. There is a nation called Belarus. Belarus. Belarus is the smallest country in Europe. It has a president since 1985, the same president. His name is Alexander Lukashenko. Lukashenko. He's a thug, all right? He steals elections. That's how he's been in office since 1985. Uh, and whoever is his opponent, opponents pop up every now and then and say, you're doing a lousy job, you're a thief. No problem. He arrests them, he does not give them a trial, and he sends them to forced labor camps. He even sent somebody to jail, a one-armed man, listen to this, he sent a one-armed man to jail for clapping. Can you believe a one-armed man for clapping? Now, the country, Belarus, is also in a deep recession. It's depressed, 470,000 people out of work, 470,000. Now, what does... Lashenko say about this 470,000? Of course, he's got to help them. They're his people. Well, no, he says, you're social parasites. He refers to them as social parasites. And the reason he refers to them as social parasites is because they can't pay taxes. If they're not working, they have no income to be taxed on. And he said, screw you to his people. And he's getting away with it. And he says, you may not be working. You can't pay taxes, but if you don't pay taxes, I'm automatically taxing you $250 a year to cover the taxes I'm losing. And would you believe it? This guy is taxing zip income, zero income, to the tune of $250 a year. Let me talk about Trump's tax returns for a moment. And I'll tell you, that this is very interesting because my show is going on tonight, 9 o'clock Tuesday night. And Maddow, on her show, has a special show tonight on Trump's tax returns. I don't know what she's talking about. It's supposed to be some part, some sort of an expose. I'll have to catch it in the middle of the night when it's rerun. But here's what I want to say about Trump's tax returns. Uh, they can be examined. They can be examined. They should be examined. Uh, he has no legal obligation. He had no legal obligation during the campaign to submit them. He said he would, uh, but he never got around to it. 
uh, because they were being audited, which is a crock. You can still have your returns examined by somebody else. Ever since Ronald Reagan in 1980, every presidential candidate has submitted his or her tax returns. But he said no, and he, it seemed like he, 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 bit, he beat it. He beat the deal. He got elected. Nobody seemed to care. Well, here's what's happening now. You see all this crap coming up about Russia and relationships possibly with uh, Trump. And this all has to be examined, and it's before, what, two or three different congressional committees. The Intelligence Committee starts having hearings this coming Monday. Trump has been requested to produce his tax returns. He was requested. He wasn't subpoenaed. He failed to do so. So now the issue becomes, can they be subpoenaed? And they can be subpoenaed. I just want you to know that Trump's tax returns can be subpoenaed, your tax returns can be subpoenaed, my tax returns can be subpoenaed. Here's how it works. The House Ways and Means Committee, by the way, is the one committee that can do it. There's two others, and I think one's the Intelligence Committee. There is a 1924 law, rarely invoked, that can be used to examine Trump's tax returns if it appears he has a conflict of interest, not even an issue, appears, that's all, and there are constitutional violations, okay? The theory behind this 1924 law is that those that set tax policy, those that set tax policy, have the power to examine tax returns, which means they can subpoena them. Now, I I just said a few moments ago, the House writes the budget. The House controls money. And so the House is the proper place or group to subpoena his tax returns, especially the Ways and Means Committee, because they have everything in the final analysis to do with money. Has this law ever been used before? Yes. Guess where? With Nixon, his returns in 1974, when they were uh, the special committee was deciding whether he should be impeached. And Nixon supplied his tax returns when he received the subpoena, because that's the law. Now, the issue came up two weeks ago before the Ways and Means Committee. That's right. A Dem- the Ways and Means Committee, I think, is 24 Republicans, 23 Democrats. The Republicans control the House. <clears throat> and they have one vote, one person more than the Democrats on the committee. And a Democrat on the committee said, Let's subpoena, and he made a motion to subpoena the president's records based on the 1974 law. The vote was a party-line vote, 24-23. The Republicans said no. Now, this, this issue can be re- come up again. Let's uh, subpoena the president's tax returns. If they don't do it, it's going to come back to bite the ass of every Republican on that committee. Let's talk about basketball. Sports are always interesting here. I love basketball. My team, Syracuse, did not make the big tournament, the NCAA tournament, but we didn't deserve to make the tournament. I hate to say it, but our team just didn't have it this year. Anyhow, guess what's coming to college and professional basketball? A four-point shot. We now have the three-point shot for years. You know, they went, out there, they drew a circle at each end of the court, and if you shot from behind that line and it went in, it's a long shot. You get three points instead of two. Big deal. Well, the NCAA 
and professional basketball have been talking. I thought this was going to happen this year. It hasn't. But in the next year or two, it's going to happen. They're considering seriously a four-point shot in basketball. The four-point line will be four feet behind the three-point line, going towards half court. Four feet behind the three-point line. It's on its way. <laughs> it's it's gonna it's got to change the game. The three-pointer. This has got to change the game even more. Uh, it's going to draw defenses. Uh, these guys got to be terrific to make a ball from that far shot from that far out. It, it's coming, and I think it'll make the game more exciting. Not that it needs to be more, made more exciting. Do you know what cursive writing is? Cursive writing is handwriting. You know how you take a pen or a pencil in your hand, and you, you, you write words by making circles and crossing T's and dotting I's and everything. That's called cursive writing. That's what I, I was taught in grammar school, how to write cursive writing. Most of you were taught cursive writing. There came a time, and this is in Bush II's time. I think it was Common Care or something. That the Common Care was the program he came up with. Why? Why teach kids how to write? How to handwrite. They're going to use computers. This is the age of the computer. So instead of teaching them how to write, we'll eliminate writing programs. That's cursive writing from school programs. But we'll teach them how to operate a keyboard, operate the internet, work through the internet, operate a computer. <laughs> there is a whole generation in our country that does not know how to write. Adults don't know how to write. Some as old as 50. I know. they talked to me. They've written to me. I wrote, I wrote a long article on this in Conk Life about a year ago. And I got a lot of responses. And I was surprised. There's one particular gentleman who I won't name who I think is extremely intelligent. Uh, he's a conservative, as I am a liberal. Uh, we go back and forth. He has nasty things to say about me in a nice way, frequently. And he wrote to me, and he says, I can't write my name. I print my name. I was never taught how to write in school. Now, isn't that absolutely amazing? Well, cursive writing is having a comeback. After a generation of students knowing only keyboarding, 14 states now require cursive proficiency in schools. Atlanta, I'm sorry, Alabama and Louisiana are the latest two states to join the club. New York City recently added its 1.1 million students to the program to teach cursive writing. It's being encouraged, and I think this is good. Let me tell you a story about writing. Uh, when I was in grammar school, they taught me how to write starting in the first grade. I learned handwriting in the first grade. Uh, and in those days, we had pens with a, with a, with a point, a needle point that you stuck into the end of a uh, a wooden peg or something. It was, it was a piece of wood, and you had it. A you had you had uh, ink in a bowl built into the desk, and you dipped the pen point into the ink, and then you wrote. And when they taught us how to write, they taught us with the pen and dipping it in the ink bowl, and you had to have a penny resting on the back of your hand when you wrote, and the penny could not fall off. Because for those who learned how to write and write properly, the penny would always stay in the back of the hand, not fall off. And for that, they got a Palmer Method button at the end of the first grade. I was the only kid in my class who did not get
get a Palmer Method button. I couldn't keep my hand flat. The penny kept falling off. And do you want to know something? That bothered me for years. I still think it bothers me till today that I don't have a Palmer Method button. All right. The I want to go to Yale University very quickly here. Yale University. This is this is um, political correctness going too far. They have a Cal, they have a John Calhoun College. Uh, a group of students. The students are getting crazy on campus again. It's like the Vietnam War. Uh, anyhow, they said Calhoun's name should come off the college because, after all, he was a slaveholder. He was pro-slavery with the states. They forget he was vice president of the United States. Senator, he was well-known. Everybody liked him. But he was on one side of a political issue. So they took the name off the school, Calhoun, okay? Well, here's what I want to say. George Washington was a slaveholder. Thomas Jefferson was a slaveholder. Thomas Jefferson made children that come down to this day uh, as a result of what he did with some slaves. George Washington, we should take his name off the city, we should take his name off the Washington Monument, and off the dollar bill. He was one of the biggest slave traders in the country. And he, slave owners, and he signed a law when he was president saying that if a, a slave escaped to another state that was a free state, that free state had to bring him back. Get rid of the name Washington. Such ridiculousness. It's stupid. That's the show for this week. I thank you for joining me again. I enjoy doing the show. I'm doing something new. I'm into my fifth or sixth week of doing a live video. <laughs> yep, on Facebook under Key West Lou. Uh, it's only a minute, two minutes, one or two a day. I talk about anything and everything. It's like this show. Uh, anything and everything. And it's a quick hit. You might enjoy it. I think you will. Uh, if we're not Facebook friends, let's become Facebook friends. You write to me so I can say I'm your friend, and you can see my Facebook Key West Lou video. Thank you for joining me. Talk with you next week.